1: Okay, you guys, we want to tell you about a show that we have been obsessed with. These are OGs. We've loved them since day one, and it's your next binge-worthy podcast. If you like your true crime light, which we think you do, on the gore, you know, then you should check out Moms and Murder, a true crime podcast hosted by friends Melissa and Mandy. Some of their recent episodes include a story about the craziest hotel bombing you've never heard of, the crimes of Lou Pearlman. You guys love that. And even the murder of pop superstar Selina's. Oh, we love talking about her, but we hate hearing about Yes. It. Each Tuesday, they will give you their take on a new true crime story, balancing their delivery of facts and levity, while still giving the stories the respect they deserve and making you feel like you're part of the conversation. Moms and Murders covers both the lesser known and the more familiar stories, and there are over 200 episodes to binge. So you can get started right this very second. Search Moms and Murder on your favorite podcast app and subscribe so you'll never miss a new episode. Do it now. Hello, and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin' with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at KillerQueensPodcast, and we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge, and let's talk about some true crime. Hey, you guys. Hi, guys. Welcome to Killer Queens. Yay. Do I feel like one of those annoying people who is like, happy before seven o'clock in the morning. And you're just like, stop. Yeah. If you were whistling, that would make it even worse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I do just want to give you a quick heads up. Um, at the time of this recording, I still have COVID. We are recording remotely. So being super safe, but, um, if my voice sounds all yuck, that's why. Yeah. And I think that it's a good thing that you brought it up because it does sound terrible. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt like I needed, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I'm going to call it space spade. Sound like crap. <laughs> Do you look are. like crap? Actually, no. See, and that is what matters during yeah. a podcast. A podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You guys are really lucky. I look good. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But you're going to have to take her word for it. So. Yep, exactly. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, should we do a little bit of business? I think we should. Yeah, before we get into the case. yeah, so we have a Patreon. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah it. okay, bye, all right, great. <laughs> so if you uh, if you want some additional episodes, you guys, if you want more of this shenanigans, whatever it is, um check out the Patreon. We've got God, what do we are we we do four episodes a week? Yes, I mean, come on. I know four episodes a week, all ad free, all ad free over there. Yeah, so yes. if you hate ads but uh, love content, check it out. Yeah, absolutely. So our lowest tier will get you ad free completely, mm-hmm. and then other tiers will get you additional episodes. But there yep. are other things. I mean, it's it's a steal, honestly. It really is. Yeah, yeah. And then we also have a live show every Tuesday night. On, it's Spotify. Room is the app. And you can search us under True Crime Rewind. Yep. And when you search, there's groups and there's people. So make sure you hit the people tab. And we are on there for their True Crime block, like I said, Tuesday evenings. And it's at 8 p.m. Central Time. That's right. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. So I think that's it. I think that's enough business. Yeah. We had a lot of requests for this case. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, girl, thanks to Julia Lehman, Missy Lynch, Rebecca, Dana, Sarah Umroglu, Lauren Updike, Opdike, Pick, Crystal, Mary Taylor, and Sarah S. Yes. And thank you so much to Mark for writing it up. Yes. And we got a couple of trigger warnings, and then we're going to jump into it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for this one we've got drugs, murder and gun violence. Yes. And the the victims are not underage, but to me they feel like children. They're young. You know, they're very very young. So I think I don't know, I just kind of wanted to put that out there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm going to give you guys a little episode description. In the summer of 2017, one young man went missing in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. While investigating his disappearance, it came to light that three other young men were missing in Bucks County at the same time. Days later, three of their bodies would be found and the common thread between them would prove to be responsible for their deaths. His eventual cooperation led to the location of the fourth body and all four of the lost boys of Bucks County were returned to their families. Mm. Guys, It's 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 awful. Okay, let's talk about Bucks County, Pennsylvania, PA, if you're nasty. (laughs) Bucks County is nestled along the eastern border of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. When the U.S. Census was taken in 2020, the population of Bucks County was just over 628,000. It's the fourth most populous county in PA. During the American Revolution, George Washington and his troops camped in Bucks County before making their historic crossing of the Delaware River to take Trenton, New Jersey and turn the tide of the war in favor of American independence. Wow, wow. This is is an important area for history times. I know. And I feel a little bit like Owen Wilson. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. (laughs) The turtle. Yep. Yep. Alicia Moore was born in Bucks County, but you might recognize her by a different name, Pink. I did not know that was her real name. You didn't. No, I think I might have known it at one time, but I totally forgot. Right. Throughout the years, several movies have been filmed in this area as well. A scene from Charlotte's Web and the Stephen King classic, The Stand, were both shot there. M. Night Shyamalan's shot Signs, predominantly in Bucks County. And I know it's... How actually do you say it? Now I'm not. M. Night Shyamalan? That's yeah. how I've always pronounced it. I could be wrong, but... Okay. But the film was based in Bucks County. 2008, The Happening was also filmed there, and a scene from Lady in the Water was shot in Bucks County as well. So I'm going to go on a limb and guess that M. Knight, mm-hmm. Malahan, yeah. is from there? That's what I'm wondering. Like, yeah, he lives in Buck County, Bucks County. Well, I mean, Stephen King, he's from Maine, so all of his stuff is set and Yeah, yeah, really, Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, makes mm-hmm. sense. While there are several different tidbits and factoids we could go on and on about, and I know you like to hear us mispronounce names, um, in regards to Bucks County, today we're here to talk about what happened in July of 2017 in Bucks County. Yes, and we're going to start with Jimmy Patrick. 19-year-old Jimmy Patrick lived with his grandparents in Newton Township. His mother had been dealing with drug abuse issues, and his grandparents were essentially mom and dad from the day he was born. They took him home the day after he was born and he was with them from that moment on. And that makes me think of Shania Twain. From oh, this man.
0: moment.
1: Wow. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I can't <laughs> help it. I mean, you know, I, and that song moves me to tears. So I just can't I do. Anywhere. Yeah. I know. Sharon and Rich Patrick said that it took a little work and getting used to since they were in their mid-50s with a newborn, but they made it work. They raised Jimmy as their own, and he thrived under their care. Jimmy excelled on the baseball diamond, and he loved the game of baseball. He excelled in high school as well, and he was given a scholarship worth over $50,000 per year to to Loyola University, Maryland. And he went through a freshman year at that college. At Loyola, Jimmy was a business major, and unsurprisingly to everyone who knew him, he was excelling there as well. In the summer of 2017, Jimmy had returned home after his freshman year and he worked a part-time job at a local restaurant. And when he wasn't working, he hung out with his friends when he could. When Jimmy went out with friends, it wasn't normal for him to be out all night. And in the off chance that he was going to be out all night, he would contact his grandparents and let them know. Yeah. And he, they even said too, that like, if he got home late, he'd wake them up, like to let them know, Hey, I've made it home. So okay, that they didn't worry. Like, yeah. yeah. He always let them know what he was going to be doing. hmm Around 6 p.m. on July 5th, Jimmy told his grandparents that he was going to go meet some friends at Chick-fil-A and get some food. Yum. And he told Sharon that he wouldn't be long and gave her a hug and they exchanged, I love yous. I love yous. Mm-hmm. I don't know why my mouth is trying to put a D on the end of everything. Oh. I love yous? I loved yous. Oh. I was like, where's the D going to go? He was, <laughs> I loved yous and I was thinking I love you's. What's yous? I don't know, stupid. You're the one who said it. <laughs> okay. Wow, we don't <laughs> say the S word. Thank you. I know, you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Jimmy saw his grandfather, Rich, in the garage and he gave him a hug as well and he told him goodbye. And as the night wore on, Sharon and Rich were a little worried as they went to bed. They hadn't heard from Jimmy, even though he said he wouldn't be gone long. Rich said that when Jimmy would come home late at night, he would always come into their room, like Torella said, and wake them up. So at 2 a.m., Sharon woke up and went into Jimmy's room to see if he was home. His bed was empty. His bed was still made. Jimmy had not made it home. She began to text him, Jimmy, where are you? But Jimmy never came home that night. Rich and Sharon called the police around noon the day after he went to Chick-fil-A and they told him that Jimmy hadn't been missing for 24 hours (sighs) and they needed to call back later that day. Yeah, so they were like, okay, I'll wait 30 more minutes and call you back again. I mean, it was a couple of hours, but still, like... I know. It's so infuriating. There's something going on. I know. And I just don't... I mean, I understand that he is over 18 at this point. Yeah. But they know him best. And they were worried about him. And what does... Exactly. What does a couple hours difference make? Yeah. Why can't you start Start looking into, yeah, who he was in contact with or whatever it just yeah yeah frustrating So they waited four hours, and around 4 p.m., Sharon called back, and initially they told her he was probably off somewhere with his girlfriend, possibly parked somewhere in his car. And she told them that his car was in the driveway. So Rich and Sharon said that it was terribly frustrating dealing with the police. They wanted some kind of response, or at the very least, acknowledgement. The police told them that they would send someone over after a shift change, and after the shift change, a patrolman showed up at the house and, according to Rich, quote, made some entries in his log, and that was it. Then he leaves. He told them that Jimmy would probably show up later. Yeah. And like, I, I do understand that police have to deal with a lot of missing persons reports that end up being like, oh, you know, a kid lost track of time or whatever, you know, like. Sure. I do understand that. But it just in these situations, when we know what we know, it's just like, I don't know, I guess it would not have made a difference anyway. But still, it's just, it's just frustrating. Well, and I think, I mean, I can understand that police if if somebody really jumped the gun and it was like, okay, they haven't been home in 30 minutes and file a missing person's report. It's not me calling every time you haven't texted me back in five minutes. Right. Which you do threaten that you're going to call the police. But yeah, yeah, I mean, they gave it time, but the thing is they know him well enough to know that he would have at least if he was able to say, Hey, I'm not gonna make it home on time, or I'm gonna stay out later, or I'm not coming home at all. Yeah. They couldn't get in touch with him. I just, and again, like you said, we know what we know. So, yeah. They gave the police Jimmy's cell phone number and a description of Jimmy and what he was wearing when he was last seen. And they traced his cell phone and gave Rich and Sharon his last pinged location. So this was in nearby Springfield in Delaware County. And Rich drove there and he began to hand out flyers. He tried to talk to anyone that he could, including the police. And he scoured a local park to see if he could find any sign of Jimmy. After Jimmy had been missing for three days, the Patricks reached out to a private investigator who came in and talked to all of Jimmy's friends and talked to, with detectives throughout Bucks County as well. And it was during these talks with other detectives that the PI learned that there was another missing teen boy in Bucks County in Middletown Township. 19-year-old Dean Finicaro lived fairly close to Jimmy and his grandparents in Bucks County, but they went to different high schools and they ran in different social circles. From what everyone knew, they didn't hang out and they were not friends with one another. Officer Megan Freer was on her normal patrol on July 8th, 2017, when a call came over the radio about a missing 19-year-old in Middletown. Officer Freer, and I don't, I, feel, I almost feel like people pronounce this Middleton. I don't know. Well, I heard them say Middletown. Okay, okay. So I was like, just, just don't come for us. We don't no, live there, you know? I was terrified about having to pronounce all of these towns. I know. And maybe some people do, but I heard it as Middletown. Yeah okay, Officer Freer responded to the call and went to the Finnecaro residence and talked to Bonnie and Anthony, who are Dean's parents. Officer Freer was actually familiar with Dean. She had had dealt. She had wow. She had dealt with him in the past. So Dean had been in trouble for joyriding with friends on the streets with their dirt bikes and four wheelers. And like, there is video, and it is terrifying. Like, it's oh my terrifying. Goodness. He's like up on a dirt bike, like. Like on just the one wheel and like the- Pop a wheelie, yeah. Okay, yeah, pop and a wheelie, okay. I'm such a loser, I don't know what that is. But <laughs> like, because I was like, the top wheel was in the air, like. <laughs> yeah, it's called it wheelie. Was, it was so scary. And he was like, I mean, really going for it. Like that top wheel was up and down, up and down, up and down. And I was like, he's not going to keep control of this bike. And then other kids were standing on top of the seat I'm too scared to be on a dirt bike personally, but I don't know how they did Uh, everything they were doing. It was scary. And and no helmet, not a helmet in sight. Yeah, no helmet. And there's, I mean, there's other cars driving around them too. So yeah. And somebody was filming it. Exactly. It's just pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I also get that, you know, there are plenty of people who aren't terrified of that kind of stuff, but it scared me watching it. Well, and when you're 19 and, you know... You think you're invincible and you don't even think about. Exactly. So, so he would get in trouble for stuff like that. It was not, from what I understand, what we understand, there's nothing that he was doing that was like, you know, violent. It was just stuff like that. And, you know, like kids that we went to school with would get in trouble for like cruising up and down the strip or, you know, like whatever, get in trouble for hanging out at the Sonic or like, it's just what kids do, you know? Well, yeah. And his dad is like, you know, yeah, he he was immature, but I mean, who who wasn't? Yeah, he was seventeen. 19. I mean, yeah, or you know, whatever age, yeah, or nineteen, a yeah, teenager. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. When Bonnie talks about Dean, she says that he didn't fear anything. He would go out riding quads or dirt bikes with his friends. What's the a, quad? Hell is a quad? Is that a four? Is that a four wheeler? Yeah, of four quad four wheels quad. Okay, I guess. I've never heard we're not we're not in the quad world, so I don't I don't know. No, they just call him four-wheelers around here. I don't know. When they went to Jamaica, he was one of the first to jump off the cliffs into the water below. When he played hockey, he always took on the bigger players. He wouldn't back down when push came to shove. She also said that trait would get him into trouble occasionally with the joy riding. And Anthony said, Look, my son wasn't a goody two shoes kid, but he was a good person. He was just an honest, loyal kid. And like we said, He's a kid. I mean, you know. But what the fear is here is my son is missing, but because police already know him, we're afraid they're not going to take it seriously. Sure. So Anthony said that in the weeks and months leading up to Dean going missing, he had seen a change in him. He could see him starting to mature. He had gotten a pit bull named Ace, and Anthony could see and how he cared for him that he was growing and thinking larger than just himself. He worked 50 plus hours a week at a local restaurant, Richmond's Ice Cream and Burger Company. On the Friday that he went missing, Dean called down to his father who was in the basement that he was going to go out and meet some friends. Anthony still thinks about if things would be different if he were upstairs when Dean left. He feels like he would have been at the door and seen who Dean was with, and they would have seen him and know that he knew who they were, you know? Mm -hmm. we see you guys leaving together maybe that would have changed things right well and then he could have been like hey this is the last person that i saw my son with yes exactly to point police to a a suspect Mm -hmm. so dean never returned home that night and anthony sat up all night calling and texting but never got a response so that's when they called the police and officer freer came to take the missing persons report and Freer said that it was odd when she got to the house because not only were his parents there, but like all of his friends were there. There was a huge group of people. And she was like, you know, that's not normal when you just, you're going to take a missing persons report. There's usually the, you know, direct like loved ones, parents, a husband, wife, whatever it is. But there were a ton of people here. And Officer Freer told them that she knew their son because of their previous run-ins. And again, you know, They're just really scared that they're not going to take it as seriously. But having that many people there, that many people concerned about him really stood out to her. And I think that kind of overshadowed the, we've had some run-ins with him. Maybe he's just off somewhere. Yeah. Officer Freer said that since it was around a holiday weekend, her initial thought was Dean was just probably hanging out with friends, laying low for a few days, just not getting in contact. But after talking to Bonnie and Anthony... She knew, like, she could tell that they were extremely worried, but also Dean's cell phone had been turned off. And Officer Freer sat with Dean's parents and his friends for several hours, talked through a timeline of what everyone knew from that day. So Bonnie had planned a girls weekend. She left earlier in the day on Friday. Anthony got home from work. He and Dean went to a local sushi restaurant. They had dinner together. And Anthony said it wasn't very often that it was just the two of them that got to hang out. So it was kind of special. You know, he enjoyed having one-on-one time with his son. He said they had a great conversation. After they got home, Anthony was down in the basement doing the laundry when Dean called down that he was going to run out for a little bit. And Anthony asked who he was going out with. And Dean just said, oh, a neighborhood kid. I'll be back in like 15 minutes, right? So an hour goes by. And Anthony starts texting. He's like, you know, hey, where are you? And then it, you know, turns into more time. So he's texting. He's not getting a response. He's calling. He's not getting a response. Anthony ends up calling Bonnie and told her that Dean never came home that night. And then he didn't show up for work the next day. And that is so unlike, I mean, like we said, Dean has had a previous history of being immature. But again, 19, not that worrisome, right? That makes sense. Mm -hmm. But when it came to work, he was incredibly mature, especially for his age. Yeah, exactly. I remember exactly. walking out of jobs on my lunch break and being like, nope, not doing that anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. A hundred times, probably. Yeah. Like me, I was, yeah. We were both shit shows when it came to working, but not Dean. He was mm-hmm. there and he yeah. worked a ton. He did. I mean, he was like, he was, you know... I think Bonnie said he was put down for like, you know, 40 hours a week or whatever. Like he wanted to be full time, but she said he worked 50, 60 hours every single week. And he always Mm -hmm. took extra shifts. And like, he was always there. He wasn't late. Like, it's very odd that he's not showing up. Absolutely. So the next day, Anthony calls local hospitals and he starts calling police departments. And after talking to everyone, Officer Freer agreed, okay, there's something going on. So she reaches out to all of Dean's friends, but no one knew anything. There was one friend that nobody could get a hold of, though, and this is Cosmo DiNardo. And Dean's dad was like, Who the fuck is Cosmo? Like, I don't know that name. I really resonate with Anthony in the way that he reacts to things. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, That's exactly what I would say. Who the, yeah, fuck, who is the Cosmo? fuck is Cosmo? Yeah. Because, like, mm-hmm. all of Dean's friends that Anthony and Bonnie knew, none of them, Dean hadn't contacted them and been like, Hey, we're going to meet up or whatever, you know? So all of them were like, I don't know. I didn't have any plans to meet up with him. So the only person, and this is somebody that's on his Facebook contacts list, is Cosmo DiNardo, but we can't find him. Right, absolutely. Thomas Mayo was 21 years old and he went missing on or in July of 2017. And his mom, Melissa, often sits and just thinks about when her son was younger. When she does, she can feel his arms wrapping around her and she can see him as a young boy running around the playground full of energy. You guys, these are this is tough. I mean, oh yeah. I don't know. I, again, like every single case is really difficult, but hearing parents talk about their children and like I feel like you think about really young kids being vulnerable to stuff like this, but you don't think about, you know, your 19, 20, 22 year old son. Mm-hmm. Really, like, I, I don't know, I guess you just don't think about them as being in danger as much. Right. I would think I'm not a parent, but I could understand if once you get them, your children to a certain age, you kind of like breathe a sigh of relief. Like, oh, we made it, you know, we made it to here. Exactly. And it's like, I don't know. And hearing that like Jimmy was like going to Chick-fil-A. Now we're going to find out later. That's not what happened, but it's like, there can't be a safer place in the world. Right. Oh yeah. Chick-fil-A. And then he never comes home. Exactly. So like, I'm just like, okay, well add add Chick-fil-A to the list of shit that I don't want my son to do by himself. <laughs> like, I'm just- I know. I mean, when we did the, was it Hollywood, who was it? One of the mass shooting episodes, it was just awful. But yeah, one of the places that we had to add to was the grocery store. We mm-hmm. had to add craft stores. Yep. Oh yeah, this was DC Snipers. DC Snipers, that's exactly what it Home was. Home yes. Depot, yeah. yes. I know it's just I don't know just hearing that kind of stuff it's just like again these are technically adult boys but they're little boys to me like I know yes So Melissa describes Thomas as an affectionate boy growing up and that he was selfless. And as he grew up, he always made sure to set aside time for his family. If he hadn't spent much time with his mom, he would go out of his way to have breakfast with her or specifically set aside time to hang out with his younger sisters. Mm. Thomas was always looking out for the girls. He was nine years older, but he was able to get through to them. When his sister Gabriella had something going on in her life, it was Thomas who she confided in. He graduated from Ben Salem High School and attended East Stroudsburg University for a year. After that year, he took a year off to figure out what he really wanted to do with his life. And during that year off, he began working at a construction job. And in the months leading up to Thomas going missing, he was working a second job at a local gas station as well. Melissa said that Thomas never judged people and that he was so curious about everything and loved asking questions. When he was working construction, Thomas wasn't alone. He worked with his best friend, Mark Sturgis. Mark's father worked in with the construction company as well, and Thomas and Mark were so close that they finished each other's thoughts and their personalities balanced each other out perfectly. Thomas was small in stature, but he was extremely outgoing, and Mark Sturgis was physically much larger, but he was also more shy. Mark had recently moved into an apartment that had been set up at his father's home in Pittsburgh. His parents said that he lived his life as a peacemaker, whether he was at home or school, He was just trying to help people. And at school, he was the one to step in when people were about to fight and try to stop it. Since he was much larger than most people in his class, it was usually easy for him to stop anything before it started. His mom said that he was always protecting the smaller people around him, including Thomas. So on the Friday that they were last seen, Melissa said that when she woke Thomas up before, um, or she had woken him up before she went to work that morning and she kissed him goodbye as he laid in bed, but before he got up to meet Mark um, for work that day. So after their day at work, Thomas went back home and he shared a bowl of mint chocolate chip ice cream with Gabriella, who was the last family member to see him alive. That is precious. I know. This little sister. <laughs> the love that he had because kids' siblings, they go through some rough patches with their with their other siblings, right? Like sometimes. Yeah. But it seemed like they were just so close, especially despite a huge age difference. Yeah, that's a big age difference and to still be that, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, Andrew is four years older than his little sister and he was like, I didn't have shit to do with her for, like, 18 years. <laughs> like, he was just like, like, Caroline would be like, can I hang out with you? And he'd be like, no, get away. <laughs> like, you're so mean to her. <laughs> but that's the typical sibling relationship that a lot of times you see, especially, I feel like, especially between a brother and sister sometimes. but yeah. And like a bigger age difference, yeah. Oh, 100%, yeah. I mean, we were always very, very close. Even when we hated each other, we were like, can I sleep with you though? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (sighs) I'm scared. But we're gonna hang out though, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no. I'm still mad at you, but I'm not going to uh, stop talking to you or leave you alone, so. Exactly. Melissa knew something was wrong when Thomas's girlfriend called her Saturday morning and asked if she knew when Thomas was going to be leaving to visit her in Philadelphia. And Melissa thought Thomas was already in Philadelphia. And from there, everything just blurred for her. On the same Friday, Mark and Thomas had talked about hanging out later that night while they worked at with Mark's dad, who was also named Mark. A few hours after they left work, Mark went outside and noticed that his son's car was gone, and his son was gone as well. Initially, he thought that Thomas and Mark must have gone out to a bar or something to get a drink, and they would be at work the next morning, and then the next day rolled around, and Thomas and Mark never showed up. Okay, so now we've got four young men missing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My God. So now we go back to Officer Freer, who has started to try to unravel the question that Dean's dad had. Remember, who the fuck is Cosmo? Because we still don't know. Dean's friends told her that Cosmo lived in Ben Salem, which is a township in Bucks County. From there, Freer called the Ben Salem Police Department, and they were able to give her basic details about Cosmo: his name, address, date of birth, vehicle registration, all that. So Cosmo was 20 years old. His family ran two successful trucking companies in Bucks County. With that info, Freer googled Cosmo and obtained two addresses that belonged to the family. I'm sorry, why couldn't the police department give her the addresses? Why'd she have to Google them? I have no idea. But I guess if they had never had any run-ins with the law before. But shouldn't you have an address, like, for the vehicle registration? Oh, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure about that. I don't know. I mean, I would think so, but. Yeah. So she gets two addresses. One was their primary home in Ben Salem, and the other was out in a more rural area. So Freer then contacted the phone carrier and asked if they could give her the location that Dean's phone was last used. They told her that this was in Salbury Township which was the area where the Donardo family owned that rural piece of property. So Freer is starting to think, all right, maybe Dean and Cosmo were out on his family land together. Next, Freer met up with an officer from the Solbury Police Department, and they made the trip out to the Donardo land around 1.30 a.m. And Freer worked the 7P to 7A shift, so... This is her pride of blibe, you know? <laughs> yes. The officer that she met with said that upon initially talking to Freer, he could tell that she had what could only be described as, quote, that police instinct. And she thought that there was something more to the situation than just a missing person. So again, because we're talking about a teenage boy, the initial reaction that most police are going to have is he'll turn up, give it some time. But she ha- she was like, man, there's something going on here, you know? And, and God. I know, thank God, because then, like, her feeling that way to another police officer gets this ball rolling, you know? Mm-hmm. So the two officers arrive at the Donardo property just after 2 a.m. And after driving for a bit, they came across a house on the property. And this is a huge property. Like, you can't just walk around the property, you've got to drive it. It's big. The house was in disrepair and was clearly not being lived in. There was paint chipping everywhere, and the screen on the front door was coming off. There were no vehicles that they could see, just an old, worn-down-looking shed or garage. Freer said that they approached the house and fully expected to find Dean and possibly someone else just hanging out inside. But, unfortunately, they didn't find anyone. And Freer said they continued to circle the property and search, but they found nothing to draw further suspicion. So it was around 2.40 a.m. when they left the property. After they left, though, the other officer couldn't return to his regular patrol. He was like, dude, we should have searched that shed. Like, there's something going on with that shed. For some reason, he could not let that shed go. So 15 minutes into returning to his patrol, he radioed Officer Freer, and he was like, I'm going back. And he said it was about 3 a.m. So he gets to the shed. He opens the side door to take a peek inside. Looking inside, he saw a car, which was clearly not one that had been sitting long. And remember. Like, this shed is something that's been abandoned for a very long time. So he's like, I you would think that if there's a, a car that's been there, there's going to be dust all over it, cobwebs, you know, something like yeah. that. It's going to be obvious that it's been sitting for a long time, just like that shed. Yeah, exactly. But this car was recently placed there. So he shines his flashlight on the ground like, leading up to the shed, and he can see tire impressions, which he knew were fresh. And he's like, dude, we just missed somebody being here. Like, just missed them. So they ran the plates of the car that he finds, and it comes back to Thomas Bayo. And that's when another officer came on the radio and said that Thomas's mother had been in the station earlier that day to report him missing. And that's when everyone began to suspect that this was way more than a missing person's case. Freer thought the chances of Cosmo Donardo not being involved with two people being reported as missing were pretty freaking slim. Agreed. Oh, yeah. Freer got pretty, a call. Freaking slim. Pretty freaking slim. So Freer gets a call from her husband because she hadn't come home yet. And he was like, uh, hey, girl, um, are you like gonna come home tonight? Or and she's like, you know what? I got in the middle of something. It's either a whole lot of nothing or a whole lot of something, but I gotta figure it out. And she's like, you know. I got so wrapped up in this that, like, now I'm starting to worry my husband because I haven't come home. But she's like, there's something going on. So she goes to the Donardo house, hoping to find the boys just hanging out there. Cosmo's mom answered the door, and Freer told her that she wanted to talk with Cosmo because there was a boy missing, and Cosmo may have been with him. And she just wants to ask him a few questions. Cosmo's mom said he wasn't home and he wouldn't be back until later on. So she leaves the Donardo residence and she starts to reach out to all the townships that had missing boys just trying to gather as many details as she could. So she's starting to put everything together and she connects the dots that there are four people missing in Bucks County. So we have Jimmy, Dean, Tom, and Mark. And with all this coming to light, agencies from all over the county got together and they laid out everything they had to see how their cases could be connected. Which again, I feel like we have to give, we shouldn't have to give them props, but we do have to give them props because. There, I feel like there are so many cases that we've looked at that people have been like, not related, not related, not related. Like, I'm not going to give you any information not related. Like, Mm -hmm. but they're, I mean, they're doing what they can to get all this information together. Well, yeah. In different county or I don't know, township police departments and things like that. Sometimes they wouldn't want to work together, No, but it sounds like they are. So exactly. It's, Mm -hmm. I mean, good on you, Bucks County. They returned to the shed where Tom's car was and found that it was unlocked. There were no signs of a struggle or anything. It just looked like it was casually parked there. Investigators found the keys and the title to the car pinned to the wall, which stuck out as extremely odd. Like, why would Tom leave that there in this random shed? Upon searching the car, though, they found something else that worried them. Tom was diabetic, and they found his insulin and like like his whole kind of diabetic kit in the car. And it had been almost 48 hours since he had had his insulin. And they said that literally Tom never went anywhere without this kit. He was extremely diligent about taking his medicine. If he was going to walk from here to right over there, he had it with him. Like, mm-hmm. he did not leave that behind. And they knew that if Tom was still alive, his time was limited because he didn't have his medication with him. At this point, though, the Patricks were not convinced that Jimmy's disappearance was linked to the other three missing boys because they didn't recognize any of the other three boys' names. They're like, these aren't friends of him. Except, though, for Cosmo Donardo. Cosmo Donardo. What a name, man. I know. So, Officer Freer received a call from Dean's parents and said that they had more information they could give her. She went to their house and they told her that a neighbor up the road had security cameras and one faced the road on the outside of his house. So they asked him if he could review the footage from that day and time that Dean had left. And like, maybe he picked something up. Maybe he saw something. He did. He gave them the footage. They handed it over to Freer, who took a look and saw a silver truck drive down the road at the time that Dean left. Cosmo DiNardo hmm, also drove a silver truck. And that... Truck matched the one that was on the footage. Uh, curiouser and curiouser. I was about to say that. Oh my God. Oh my God. Well, sucks to suck. So now Freer knew that they had to talk to Cosmo. So investigators went back to the Donardo home and talked to his parents again. And they arranged a time for Cosmo to come in and voluntarily speak to police during this interview, they wanted, to, or they talked to Cosmo about how he might have known the boys and basically just wanted to give him, or him to give a timeline of like where he was when everybody went missing. Of course, Cosmo was like, I don't know where the boys were. Um, I don't know what happened to them, but he did admit that he was with Dean the night he went missing. So they were supposed to go to a friend's house together, but there had been an argument while they were driving and Cosmo kicked him out of a truck and left him on the side of the road, hmm. according to Cosmo. Yeah. And after he left him, Cosmo said that he went to a local park and he went fishing and he stayed there until 9 p.m. <laughs> okay, Cosmo. Yeah, after that, I just went fishing all by myself in a just random spot. I mean, you know, I'm all not saying long. people don't go fishing, but yeah, come on. I feel like this is a classic case of you should have stopped while you were not even ahead, but you should have stopped. It's like when, you, when you're when you lying and you give too many details, Yeah, you get yourself in trouble. You get caught. Mm-hmm. So his alibi was shaky at best, and investigators noted that one thing was clear throughout the interview. Cosmo was obviously trying to distance himself from the missing boys and the property where Tom's car was found as much as possible. And based on that interview, they wanted more information, and they reached out to the news and local communities for any links they could provide between the missing boys. News outlets learned that the police were talking to DiNardo, and they began to dig into his past. The Donardos were a rather prominent upper middle-class family in Bucks County. They learned that over the years, Cosmo had over two dozen encounters with law enforcement, but he had never been arrested. They had been called several times because Cosmo would become aggressive with family members, causing them to fear for their safety. And at one point, Cosmo had been placed in a mental health facility and was experiencing mental health issues. So over a few months before the boys went missing, Cosmo had been charged with possessing a firearm which he was not allowed to do. And he was in a vehicle and was pulled over. And upon searching, they found the gun on him. When they learned this in Cosmo's history, Dean's family was upset. Dean never got a break from law enforcement, which they acknowledged that he shouldn't. He should have to pay for any crimes or violations he had committed. But Cosmo had been in trouble over two uh-huh. dozen times and he was never charged. Yeah, exactly. And Anthony was like, if Dean had been caught with a fire or shotgun in his car, He would be in jail in no time. And Cosmo was just allowed to walk away. And you got to wonder if it's because they're a prominent family. Well, yeah. And who do they know and all that kind of stuff. But like when they found that gun on him and if they had put him in jail, would things be different? Would he have been out in order, you know, for all of these things to happen? Like, right? come on. Yeah, I mean. How many times have we talked about, like, falling through the cracks? <laughs> just Yeah, just, a danger to society is a danger to society. I'm sorry that this is a person who is related to people that give you a bunch of donations or whatever. But, I mean, come on. Well, yeah, I mean, if he has been in trouble and has had the police called on him for being violent with family yes, members. yes. And then we find him with a gun. Right. Why are we not taking... Uh, action here! With, yeah, that I, needs I'm, to be taken seriously. Absolutely. So, investigators dug into Cosmo's social media accounts as well, and they discovered that Cosmo had a short temper and was really quick to threaten people. A lot of Cosmo's childhood friends said that they felt like he was strange growing up. They had a sense of quote unease when they were around him, and Cosmo would relentlessly harass girls online and constantly challenge people to fight. They're literally okay. There's a thing on—I watch it on Amazon Prime, but it's called The Lost Boys of Bucks County, I think. Yes, and if you have Hulu Live, it's on ID channel, so you can watch it on there as well. Okay. They showed some, like, text messages or IMs or something between Cosmo and a girl, and he was like, hey, let's uh, meet up and have sex tonight. And she's like, um, no. And he's like, no, seriously, like, let's just hurry up and have sex. Like, get— like, let's just go do it. Let's do it. Let's get, like, get like like let's just hang out. Come on, and we'll have sex. We'll just, okay, fine. We'll just do a little sex. Okay, we'll just make out or, like, whatever. He, he's very aggressive. It's not like, and you can tell that the girl on the other end is like, where is this coming from? Like, we've not been having this conversation. I've not been wanting to have sex with you. You're just telling me, like, I need to have sex tonight, so let's go do that. Like, it's very, right. like, disgusting makes you feel dirty. Like, ugh. So as this information began to come to light, the police started to try to build a timeline of where Cosmo was during the times that the boys went missing and using automatic license plate readers, they went through their files and were able to place Cosmo's truck in the vicinity of when Mark and Tom went missing, which directly contradicted his story of being in the park fishing. Yeah, like... What do you think this is? A country song? You weren't fishing in the dark? I know, come on. You ain't nitty-gritty dirt band. I know... Hey, you guys, um, it's us again. Yay, it's, it's us. us. We threw you, we threw you for a loop on this one. <laughs> uh, so we know that a lot of you have been asking like WTF, where are episodes one through 44? And guess what? Now you can have them. So let's just remember, though, we need you to take a little caution here. We didn't know exactly what we were doing back then, and we started this podcast as just a fun thing to do as sisters. We had no idea that it would grow into this super awesome club with you guys. So what we're saying is the audio wasn't super amazing, but the content is 100% us, just being us and talking about some true crime with 90s flair. Okay, so here are the details. You'll be able to access our what we're calling OG episodes in your favorite podcast app through a private and custom RSS feed link. So to grab that head over to killerqueens.link/og and snag episodes 1 through 44 today. That's killerqueens.link/og. Another person came forward and said that Tom His name is not Thomas. What was I I don't even know where that came from. Cosmo. Mm-hmm. Yep. Was trying to sell a car that was identical to Tom's car which was found in the shed of his family's property. Hmm. So with that information in hand, investigators obtained a search warrant for the DiNardo property and began to search for any signs of the missing boys. Now, like we talked about earlier, this property is big. It's 90 acres. So this is a slow process. As this was happening, they arrested Cosmo on a refiled weapons charge and held him on a high bail. To hopefully keep his family from bailing him out. And that ended up being $1 million. Yep. $1 million. <laughs> they go to an old barn on the property and found that there was blood pooled on the ground as well as splatter on a ladder. <gasps> splatter on a ladder. I know. It's like a on a ranch. <laughs> Sorry. It, I was not expecting
0: um, the sound of that coming out of my mouth. Yeah, yes, it, can, does. it sure does rhyme, Yeah.
1: So with that in mind, they knew that they had an active crime scene and a scene where a horrific crime had taken place, judging from the blood that had been found. Yeah, because they said that like the amount of blood that they found was enough to put a person or persons in very, very grave danger. Like, this is not a little bit of blood. This is a lot of blood. Yeah, it's not like Cosmo just cut his finger. And yeah. Like, oh, here's some blood. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's telling. The four boys' families began to wait at the farm as police searched and they got a group together and they just waited. And it was during this time that Anthony got a message from Verizon saying that a line on his account had dialed 911 and it was Dean's number. Oh my gosh. And he, Awful. And he he was like, it took my breath away. And he was like, I think Dean was trying to reach out and get help. Yeah. Anthony reached out to the police and they told him that they knew about the call because they were the ones who placed it to identify who the phone belonged to? They found Dean's phone in a field on the Donardo property. Mm-hmm. Anthony was beyond heartbroken. Can you imagine? Because, like, you hear that and you're like, there's no other explanation for this, right? Other than Dean tried to call 911. Like, he's right. alive and he needs help. And then the it police gives are you like, hope. Yeah. And they're like, well, actually, we called 911 to get the caller ID information from it. And I'm like, mm. oh, man. Also, I didn't know that's how they did that. I didn't either. But it inflated him with hope, and then he was immediately deflated. Yeah, like within five minutes. Like, nope. Yeah. So sad. By this time, the Patricks were on the farm too, even though they still had their suspicions that Jimmy's disappearance wasn't related to the others. They thought his phone had last pinged in Springfield, Delaware County. But as they were there, an officer told them that that was incorrect, that Jimmy's phone last ping was the same as the others in Solberry. At this time, Cosmo was released from Bucks County Jail when his family posted the ten percent required for his bail, which was 100000 uh, dollars. $100, $100, 100 and, and one hundred and thousand dollars. One hundred and a thousand dollars. Yes, yeah. I'm using the olden days. Oh, yeah. Right, like one and one and thousand dollars. Yeah. Yes. No, a hundred thousand dollars. Shut up. On Wednesday, July 12th, the search teams zeroed in on a pile of rocks and earth that had been recently disturbed. And as they dug, they found vegetation that was much lower than it could have normally survived. As they kept digging, the smell of gasoline overpowered them. And again, that indicated to them that they were on the right track. Okay, so they go back. They rearrest Cosmo again for stealing Tom's car. This time, his bail was set at $5 million. So they're trying to make it so that the family is not going to pay the, the bond. Yeah, because they would have Cosmo. to pay thousand dollars Yeah, and 100000 and oh, fu- Yes, exactly. Yeah. With Cosmo back in custody, the dig continued. After several hours of digging with shovels so as not to disturb any evidence, their shovel struck metal. It was a large metal oil tank. Beneath that, they discovered a blue tarp. So 12 feet underground, next they discovered the bodies of Tom, Dean, and Mark. All three had significant traumatic injuries and burns on their bodies. So three boys had been found, but Jimmy was still missing. That's when Cosmo's attorney and investigators struck a deal, which I'm like, Bleh, but you know. I know. Cosmo offered to tell them where Jimmy's body was if they took the death penalty off the table. This is a deal I can live with. I can live with it, but it also really shrinks my hat because it twists my tatas. I don't like oh. it. Yeah. Well, I'm serious, because I don't understand how somebody who has literally no regard for human life, yeah, is like, don't I'm not die, I don't want to die, please don't let me die, I do not want to yeah. die. I know You didn't give a shit yeah, about anybody else. Exactly, it's very frustrating, but I feel it like is. at least he'll still be, you know. I was really worried that you know, they were going to try to strike a deal with him and be like, we'll give you second degree or yeah, I don't know. Like so that, yeah. So that you're not going to spend, you know, life in prison or whatever. I'm like, okay, if you're going to take the death penalty off, I'll, I guess I'll go for that. Especially if we can find his body. And I'm on the fence about death penalty, honestly. Like I don't, I don't know how I feel all of the time with it, but it just drives me crazy that people who think nothing of taking other people's lives have such, a high regard for their own, yeah. it's a little ironic to me. A little bit, yeah. So they offer him the deal, and he told them where to find Jimmy. Cosmo then recounted how each boy was killed. He said that he was going to meet Jimmy, and he was going to act as a middleman between Jimmy and another person who was selling marijuana. So when they got to the farm, Cosmo told Jimmy to give him the money so he could count it. He says Jimmy was supposed to have $8,000, but he only had $800. I don't believe that. I don't believe it either. Uh, look, where the fuck is Jimmy gonna get $8,000? Like, come on. He's,
0: he's 19, 19. He's <laughs>
1: working. Yeah. He's working a job, and I'm sure he worked hard and worked well, but I don't even, I could get it, but I don't, you know, I don't walk around with $8,000 that I can just spend at any time. Exactly. That's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So he said, they're sitting there, and Cosmo told him the deal wasn't going to happen. But he was like, I can sell you a shotgun instead, because you don't have enough money for this weed. So they get out of the truck, and Cosmo hands him the shotgun to look at it. And as he turned around, Cosmo shot him. And after he shot him, he went and got a backhoe and dug the hole where he buried Jimmy. He put his body in, said a prayer, and filled it with dirt. It really, again, twist my that tas that he said a prayer. Yeah. What gives you the right to say a prayer for him when you're the one who fucking shot him? Yeah, a little late for that dude. Yeah. Two days after Jimmy was murdered, Cosmo called his cousin Sean Kratz from Philly to come to the farm. Sean had had some major, I'm sorry, minor run-ins with the police, but nothing violent. That Friday, they went to pick up Dean under the pretense of a drug deal. Sean was supposed to rob and kill Dean in the woods, but he didn't follow through with it. So Cosmo has now had this bright idea I can meet with people and tell them I'm going to sell them drugs and then I'll just fucking kill them and take their money. It's heinous. So he essentially killed Jimmy for $800. dollars hmm Like, so, and, you know, Sean is supposed to follow through with this and he's like, I couldn't do it. So they end up at a barn on the property. They were looking at a Vespa that Cosmo had. Dean went to walk out and Sean or Cosmo says, Sean shot him several times as he walked away. Cosmo says he then took the gun and shot Dean's body as he laid on the ground. And he says in his confession, Sean shoots him. He's dead. He falls on the ground. He's dead. But then I take the gun and I go up and shoot him a few more times. They're like, why? Because you thought he wasn't dead? He's like, oh, no, he was definitely dead. But, you know, like just just unloaded the gun on him just because. Yeah, just to really, you know. Prove the point or yeah, I I don't have because he's like, I was I was positive he was dead. It's like, okay, the entitlement that Cosmo possesses because his family is upper middle class. I'm sure he wanted for nothing. Right. And he certainly never had to face any accountability anytime he got in trouble. Nope. I mean, yeah, exactly. So Cosmo leaves Sean at the farm. He goes to meet Tom and Mark. They followed Cosmo back to the farm. And after they got there, they got out of the cars and Tom and Mark could tell something was wrong. As they turned their backs on him, Cosmo pulled out his gun. He shot Tom in the back. That dropped him to the ground. Cosmo turned to Mark and unloaded the rest of the gun on him. Tom was laying in the driveway screaming because the bullet had not killed him. It had paralyzed him. So he was saying like, I can't feel my legs. I can't feel my legs. Sean put his head in his hands and he watched as Cosmo went to get the backhoe since he was out of bullets at this point. Because they're like, why not just shoot Tom? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I ran out of bullets. I'd unloaded on Mark because he was really big. He used the backhoe to drive over Tom, which killed him. That's horrific. Just the senselessness and the callousness. Yeah. Well, I have to finish him off. So anyway, any way possible, right? My gosh, it's awful. Mm-hmm. So they placed the bodies in the large oil tank and they lit them on fire. They left the farm and uh, they went and had some cheesesteaks because, I mean, you're certainly going to work up oh, an appetite, the right? Sure, yeah. Yeah. Cosmo started crying at this point of his confession and he's like, I don't know why I did it. I threw my life away. Again, he's crying for himself. No. I don't absolutely. know why I did this. I've thrown my whole life away now. Sorry, yeah, Cosmo. he doesn't give a shit. Well, the thing is, when he was being interrogated or he was confessing the way he talks about what he did Mm -hmm. he's got a very smug nature about him it's almost like he's bragging and he's kind of chuckling i mean almost when he's Mm -hmm. describing what he did yeah definitely i mean the only person he feels sorry for is himself there's just absolutely with his confession and detailed account of what happened the police next set out to find sean kratz they began to search and quickly found him and brought him in He, of course, denies shooting Dean. He said that he was in the car when Cosmo and Dean went inside, and then Cosmo came out by himself. So he says he had no idea any of this was going on, right? Investigators kept pushing Sean because they suspected he wasn't telling the whole truth and that he had more of an involvement than he was letting on. They kept pressuring him, but he stuck to his story for almost nine months. A long time. Yeah, that is a long time. Later, Sean said that Cosmo came up with the plan for Sean to rob and shoot Dean in the woods after driving him out there on a four wheeler. Sean said that he told Cosmo he wanted to go home, but Cosmo wouldn't take him. Sean didn't shoot Dean in the woods like Cosmo told him to, which made Cosmo mad. As they were in the barn later, Dean went to leave, and as he did, Cosmo motioned to Sean to shoot him. So Sean said he pulled out the gun and aimed it, closed his eyes, and fired. And he said that he did that because he thought Cosmo would hurt him, his brother, or his mom, so he was afraid. Cosmo was charged with four counts of criminal homicide, conspiracy to commit criminal homicide, abuse of a corpse, and 12 other charges. He pled guilty to all charges and was sentenced to four consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. Sean Kratz was convicted of first and second degree murder and voluntary manslaughter and was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole as well. It's just so unnecessary. It's so senseless because how many times have we discussed the ripple effect? But, and I'm not, I'm not saying that Cosmo or Sean should have pity, like nobody should pity them because look at what they did. Yeah. Yeah this is one of the rare cases where I'm like, no, I I believe that Sean was scared of Cosmo. I do. Mm -hmm. Because Cosmo was a fucking loose cannon and he would just rage out on people. So I don't doubt that he was scared of him. Yeah. But now we've got four young men that have passed away, lost their lives. They could have gone on to do so. I mean, Why? Why they were so young? They didn't. There was no reason for it. For like we said, a couple, you know, a couple hundred bucks or something, right? Now, Cosmo and Sean, and who knows what they would have gone on to do if this had not happened? I don't know if if Cosmo would have. This would have been the same path that he would have gone down if it it didn't happen then. But now they've lost their lives, right, to the justice system. Now they're just going to be in jail for the rest of their whole lives. Everybody's families have to deal with this void Mm. and hole in their lives because they were taken from them. Cosmo's family, Sean's, everybody is messed up yeah. because of fucking Cosmo Donardo. Well, and he's killing people. He's just wanting to rob them for money he doesn't need. Exactly. It's and not like he's so again, entitled. Yeah. And again, I mean, obviously, like even if you're, you know, if you're struggling to pay your bills, it doesn't mean you can kill people and that's fine. But like he he wasn't struggling like. It's just because he wanted to. That Yeah, exactly. That, the clear motive? <laughs> yeah, that entitlement. That just like, it, it was a thrill. He killed Jimmy and then was like, actually, forget selling drugs anymore. Just every person I'm supposed to sell to, I'm just going to kill them now. This was fun. Yeah, I think to him he was like, well, that was easy. This gave me a rush. Yeah. Yeah, but dude, you're killing people that you have ties to. Mm-hmm. You're going to get caught. Like, Killing people is killing people. Like there's no, there's no like greater degree or less degree, whatever. But shooting people, it takes away a little bit of a personal effect to it. Like it's not, it's not you going up and strangling someone or something like that because that is incredibly personal to do to someone, right? Yeah. But when you up the ante by taking a backhoe oh my and running over somebody when they're still alive and begging for their life. That's horrific. Are you kidding me right now? That is just horrific. It is. I cannot. So at the beginning of watching the Lost Boys of Bucks County, I was like, "Oh, Cosmo DeNardo—that's kind of a cool name." And at the end, I was like, "Fucking! What kind of name is Cosmo <laughs> Donardo? Like, I'm—I went from zero to sixty on the hate scale. I was like, "This guy! Oh yeah. my gosh!" I mean, yeah, he's just the worst. Yeah, just because he thought it would be fun, essentially. Take up knitting, dude! Like, come on. I know. Get a fucking actual hobby that's not killing people. That's just terrible. Like, yeah. You know, it's fun building Legos. It is really fun, but it, it can't be quite pricey, but it's worth it. Yeah. I mean, you you build something and you're following those instructions. The sense oh, of yeah. accomplishment, man. I mean, come on. Nothing like it. I know. Get your adrenaline up in no time. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Just whatever, dude. And then you can display it exactly you can tell everybody hey everybody see how good i am at legos Mm -hmm. see i agree win win yeah (laughs) yeah i mean anything else dude literally anything else this is but anyway um let us know what you guys think yeah let us know do you think sean was scared do you think he was in on it and willing like what do we think yeah Were the sentences for each of them justified. I think for Cosmo, yes. Uh, it, I guess it depends on your what you think Sean's level of involvement was. Yeah. And if his are too harsh yeah. or not. But but yeah, just let us know. But thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Oh my god, you guys. You know what time it is. I know what time it is. It's shout-out time. Woohoo! It's shout-out time in Tennessee. It yeah. is. Wow. That was a missed opportunity Or. Lame, and we shouldn't be doing it anyway. I don't Shout know. Out time on Killer Queens. Okay, I like that. Still lame, but well, yeah, it is. But that's fine. You know, yeah. that's what we are. But let's give a hey girl thanks to Emma Gilday, Shauna Wenzel, Mackenzie Mason, Reagan, Ruk- I'm Ruk- awful at this today. I'm glad you're yeah. I'm glad you're getting the ones that no. we're not sure about. Uh, Shandy Klusmeyer. There you go. Sierra Gregory. Rachel Alexis. Tia Weaver. Reagan. Anna Haller. Abby. Kelsey Panza. Andy Martinez. Andrea Stoltz. Riley Trucking Miller. Well, Crystal Fairchild. Holly Buckley. Lily Cash Buchel. Samantha Galati. Brittany Frost. Amber Black. Michaela Adam. Amanda Smith. Jess B. Bernadette Vergara, Madison McMahon. Angelina Inselman, Alexis Myricks, Rachel Buckles, Amelia Rust, and Christy Rapp. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. And listen, I am so sorry. I, yeah. I think it's fair to say if you've been listening for a while, you know that neither of us can pronounce anything. So true. My be, man. We literally get like comments all the time they're like oh my god the way you said this city i'm like <laughs> i know but I know. then i've gotten some people that are like oh my gosh you pronounced it right i'm like oh my god i know every once in a while we do get those so yeah you just it's a toss-up you never know when we pronounce a name an angel visits it's me <laughs> <laughs> there's two little angels floating around somewhere exactly just two <laughs> yes just two yeah. thank you guys so much we love you we love you We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.